0: You are listening to the Riverside Community Church Podcast. For more information, visit us at www.riversideconnect.org. That was nice, wasn't it? I was blinded by the light. That was nice, wasn't it? I find that that uh, particular intro video captures the heart of this new series, which I love. Don't you just love Christmas? Don't you? David does. Does anyone else love Christmas? Y'all hate Christmas? Are, you, are we green, are we Grinches in here? I love Christmas. I love the decorations of Christmas. I hate setting them up. Uh, but we did set them up here for you. Even as seemingly little as this is, I hated doing it. But I did it because I love our church and I love Christmas. <laughs> In fact, Lauren and I, we always set up for Christmas the day before Thanksgiving. It seems that many people did that this year just because they needed an extra sense of joy uh, earlier. So people were setting up like last month, I feel, for Christmas. But we always do it the day before Christmas, That way, or the day before Thanksgiving. That way we can have our Thanksgiving meal, be gluttonous, come home, and it's Christmas. Because it's just so good. And this particular series, um, I'm looking forward to it. It's supposed to capture not only the heart of um, Bill Ellis, who was our now founding pastor, um, and his love for our church and always wanting the best for our church. In fact, he has always kind of operated under the instruction he was given by his pastor, an old Welsh preacher, Robert Owen. Robert Owen. Some of you remember Robert Owen when he used to come to our church to preach before he passed away but he used to give the instruction to to Pastor Bill, just bless the people, bless the people. And so Pastor Bill has always been one to bless the people. And so how fitting it is to have a series for his kind of last series, although he's going to be, I think, filling in now and again to preach um, forever. I don't know. Uh, And uh, it also, though, is supposed to capture the heart of God, God and his best wishes for people. What is it that God wants For people. And ironically, I um, titled this morning's message, Sink Further, which doesn't sound like a blessing. (laughs) Maybe I should have come up with a better title, but I'm hoping that uh, we leave here encouraged and challenged in a good way. And the main text for this series comes out of the book of Numbers, chapter 6, verses 24 through 26, also been made into a very popular song called The Blessing, but trust this. This particular blessing was far more popular for thousands of years than just because of a song. But you may know the Lord bless you and keep you, make his face shine upon you, be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face toward you and give. That's pretty good. Isn't it beautiful, though, what our God wants for us? Thankful that we serve a good God who has good wishes for his people, for all people. That's what God has in store. And God's best wishes for us, what he wants for us, what he wants to give us. That's what this series is all about. So I pray and hope and trust that this is one that blesses your life. And I just kind of want to come right out of the gate here and talk about God's wish in a particular aspect of God's wish for us here today. One we're going to dive into, and it's this. God's wish, that personal confidence in Him would produce life-changing love. What a great wish that God would have for people, that they would have such a confidence in Him that it would produce a life-changing love, and especially a love toward and given to others we experience our fullest lives when we are loving others when 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 we are living selflessly not selfishly which is why there are so many commands in the scriptures for God's people to love other people and in fact we kind of know this to be true When asked uh, the most important commandment to Jesus, what is the greatest commandment? Jesus responds, love God, love others. I mean, that's the two greatest commandments. And God wants His people to have such a confidence in Him that they can live selflessly loving other people, experiencing life to the full in that way. In fact, we as people, we know this. I very rarely sit down with people And ask them what their aspirations are in the next year or in the coming months or in life. And and hear them respond, you know, I just want to live selfishly. (laughs) I'm thinking this year, I just want to live for myself. I just want to really forget everyone and just uh, really dive into my own wants. Um, Actually, ironically, I have had a conversation with someone not too long ago where it did, the conversation kind of took that turn a little bit, and it was odd. Very odd. But we as people mostly know this, that you know, we live our greatest lives when we're loving other people, and it's God's wish for us that we would have such a confidence in Him that we would be able to love other people in such a profound and supernatural way that, that they would actually be drawn to God as a result of our love for them. Hence, life-changing love. Do you know that you can love other people in such a way that they are drawn to the source of that love, which ought to be God? In fact, God has ordered it and, and, and desired it that we would love other people so that people will know the source of our love and be drawn to Him, God, as a result. John chapter 13 verses 34 through 35 says, a new command I give you. Love one another as I have loved you. So you must love one another by this. Everyone will know that you are my disciples. If you love one another. God wants us to know him so much. That our lives would just flow with a kind of love for each other within the church, outside of the church in such a way where people will be like, oh, They must be Christians because they love so well. I want to get to know this God because of the quality of love, the way these people live. That's what God wants for his people. And yet, I believe we as people, we have a problem. We we experience a problem. It's hard for us to love other people to the degree in which we should and maybe even the degree in which we want to. We experience a problem. The Bible calls it sin. We can get down into the nitty-gritty even more. Insecurity and fear and scarcity rob us of our ability to love others and sometimes even ourselves. Do you ever find that this would be a real luxury to love other people? Maybe you're right now in a state of like personal fear or insecurity, or scarcity, where the idea of loving other people or being selfless is honestly something you would love, and yet right now you can't even fathom it because there's just so much going on in your own life that really just the spotlight is on you just trying to figure out and just trying to survive day by day by day. In that way, I almost see the ability to love as being a luxury. I call it the luxury of love. And yet God really wants to move in our lives. And true love really exists out of a godly security, a godly confidence, a godly abundance. Do you know that God wants to step into your life in such a powerful way that you grow in security, that you grow in confidence in him, that you live not out of a scarcity in life, but out of an abundance of your life and in your life, that you can love others in such a way that they would be drawn to God as a result, that you would be a beacon. I always speak of this. A beacon of light and darkness for people. That's what God wants. That is His best wish for you. That is His wish for us as people is that we would grow in a confidence in Him and love others in a life-changing kind of way. And so the question then becomes how do we experience this wish of God as being a reality in our own lives, that our personal confidence in Him would produce life changing love? How do we grow in our personal confidence in God? How do we get to the source from which this confidence exists in God, where then in turn, this kind of life-changing love can flow out of our lo- lives and fro- flow, not fro, flow freely, fro freely. This morning we're going to be looking at the uh, the book of Colossians, which is actually a letter in the Scriptures. Uh, The letters are known as the epistles. I'm going to just give you some biblical terminology in case you ever come across the word epistle or epistles or letters written to churches. Primarily, mostly in the New Testament, a primary author pending these letters uh, is the Apostle Paul. And yet I'm thankful for these letters and these epistles um, because they communicate God's best wishes to churches some 2,000 years ago. And yet these are not isolated letters that were only intended to speak to those churches some 2,000 years ago. Yet they were intended by God to speak to and inform and instruct and help us here today. The Scriptures, the Bible, is authoritative fully in its scope. And I'm thankful for that because we are here and we have help and we have direction. We have a revelation that has come from God, meaning His will, God's will, has been revealed to us, not generally. Although, yes, generally, meaning His will is, and God's revelation is revealed to us generally. That's why when you go outside and you see a beautiful sunset or you see the stars in the sky or a beautiful waterfall, you can't help at times but think, oh, there must be a God. His revelation has been revealed to us generally. Or maybe for some of us, you see a child for the first time, maybe some parents in this room, in that moment, and you just think, wow, there must be a God. How amazing, how miraculous, a general revelation of God. And yet God has given us a special, specific revelation as well in His Word. That we need not guess about God or what He wants for our lives. And when looking at even epistles or letters written some 2,000 years ago to specific churches that are still intended for us today, to learn from today. God God wants those letters to speak to us, to inform us, to direct us. That is why 2 Timothy 3.16 states, this is one of my favorite scriptures, through 17, all scripture, all scripture, including the epistles, all scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work work, including a growing in confidence in God so that it will produce a life changing love that we can give and display and operate within for others. Amen. And so we're looking at the book of Colossians. I'm really just kind of jumping into it. The letter to the Colossians, the church at Colossae written by the Apostle Paul. And right here at the beginning, we see in verses three through four, I'm just jumping in. I'm just going right into it here. We always thank God, the father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. Now catch this, because God's best wish for us is that personal confidence in him would produce life changing love. And look at what Paul is thankful for here in this church of in Colossae, the Colossians. We always thank God the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ when we pray for you because we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love you have for all God's people. God's best wish that we would grow in our personal confidence in Him and that that would produce a life-changing love. And Paul is saying, hey, church, this church, Colossians, you're doing it. You are operating within the wish that God has for you, that you have a faith in Jesus. You have a faith in God. We have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus, meaning you have your confidence in God. And that has produced a love for others, because we're thankful that we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love you have for all God's People, they were operating within God's best wish for them. Which then, of course, begs that question. What is it? How is it that that faith in Jesus, that confidence in God can exist at such a level where it actually produces this kind of life-changing love? We legit get that source. The source from which we can operate and grow in confidence in God and produce life-changing love we see the source just spelled out specifically in the continuation of this Colossians letter right here at the beginning how helpful Colossians chapter 1 verses 3 through 6 we always thank God the father of our Lord Jesus Christ when we pray for you this is what we just read because we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus, you have confidence in Him, and of the love you have for all God's people. Here it is. Here's the secret. Here's the secret sauce. Here's the source. The faith and love that spring from the hope stored up for you in heaven and about which you have already heard in the true message of the Gospel that has come to you. In the same way, The gospel is bearing fruit and growing throughout the world just as it has been doing among you since the day you heard it and truly understand God's grace. You know, this morning, I'm kind of in the mood to just lay it out there. I just lay it out there. You know, not surround it with a bunch of nice frivolous language, painting it, beautifully, pretty, adorning it with some nice Christmas ornaments. I just want to lay it out there. I just lay it out there for you. If we want to grow in personal confidence in God and see it produce life-changing love, laying it out there, we have to sink further and further and further into the Gospel. Hence the title of the message sink further. If we want to experience a growth in our personal confidence in God and see that produce a life-changing love that we give to those around us, whether those people be difficult, whether they be our family, our co workers, our friends, our neighbors, the strangers, if we want to see our lives be lived in such a fulfilling manner, a powerful manner, if we want to live not in scarcity, but in abundance, not in security, but security, not in a lack of confidence, but in confidence that we need to sink further and further and further. I thought the third further really pointed, stressed the point. I saw two and I thought, add another. Further and further and further into the gospel. What is the gospel? What is the gospel? In fact, when I get together with people, it's, it's very rare. Um, personal one-on-one discipleship is, and I've said this to David, Pastor David as well, it's just not my strength. It's not my strength. I think I might be too tough on people. Uh, because, and it's just my own style of learning. I sit down, it's like, okay, listen, you're going to read this book by this old dead theologian, we're going to talk about it. And then we come in, God bless the people who have tried it. We sit down, I said, did you do your reading? No, we're done. <laughs> we're done then. Don't think I'm terrible. I want to disciple through the preaching of God's word. I think it's important. I want to make it accessible for you. But when I get together and do discipleship (laughs) one-on-one, or teach, for instance, Bible classes overseas, I will have them take a piece of paper and write the words, the gospel, at the top. And I say, please, tell me what this means. Can you say it? What is it? We need to know this. We need to know the gospel. We need to be able to articulate it. We need to be able to say it. Why? Because if we want to grow in personal confidence in God and see it produce life-changing love, we have to sink further and further and further into the gospel. And it's a problem then if we don't know what the gospel is. At its simplest form, and it's important to start at its simplest form, it is good news. Gospel synonymous with. Good news literally means in the English language, gospel, good news. The news speaks of an event that changes everything. There is nothing in this world that I personally get more excited about, nor am willing to die for more than this message, which is the good news, which is the gospel. I'm willing to die for it. I'm willing to give my life for it. I'm willing to do anything to make sure people can hear it. Have you ever been changed? Or have you ever experienced some news that changed some things for you? It's kind of a joke because, you know. Have you ever heard some news that changed some things for you? This gospel is news that changes everything. Have you ever heard some news that changes everything for you? I think of my marriage. What a day. What an event. The gospel. Good news. An event that changed everything. My marriage. Good news. An event that changed everything. When I was with Lauren before God and before my church and loved ones and Pastor Donnie and staring at her in the eyes, in front of everyone, and saying, I, Lauren, take you, Michael, to be my lawfully wedded. That legit happened. It happened. And when I caught it, I stopped. And I looked out, and I just said, You're welcome! Because now you have this to tell people forever! Forever! I was the idiot who could not follow simple worded instructions. I think about it often. I confess it to you now. (laughs) To hear Lauren say to me, I, Lauren, take you, Michael, to be my lawfully wedded husband, to have and to hold, and the whole deal. I didn't memorize (laughs) them. My life changed. Forever. Because of that event, it changed everything. Internally, externally, cosmically. Changed things. In this gospel of Jesus, this good news is powerful. And it changes things. It's an event that changes life more than anything else. In an eternal kind of way. That's why the Apostle Paul said in Romans chapter 1, verse 16, it's one of my favorite texts in the Scripture. And I actually say that as a joke often. I'm always like, oh, that's my favorite text. My absolute favorite Bible verse is Jonah 2.9, which is salvation comes from the Lord. I believe that that sums the entire Scriptures and is always the go-to for life. Salvation means rescuing. And so if you ever need to be rescued, you just go to the Lord. My second favorite, I took some good thinking about this. It's probably Romans chapter one, verse 16. It says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God that brings salvation, rescuing to everyone who believes. As Christians, I believe there's always a temptation to say, yeah, the gospel, yes, but now we need to do this, this, and this, and this. And this, this, and this, and this are important, but never apart from the gospel. The gospel is the true source. It is the source from which love and policy and decisions flow. Good love, good policy, good change flow from the source of the gospel. It is that method. It is there that the power exists. I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God that brings salvation. This gospel, this message, it's a little bit mysterious, it's a little supernatural that contained within this very event, this message exists a kind of change, a kind of power of God. In fact, it says it is the power, not one of the powers. It is the power of God to bring salvation to everyone who believes. The power of God, meaning the more we dwell and meditate on and sink further into this good news, the more we change. It is the power of God. It is by this news that we grow in confidence in God that produces a kind of life-changing love. And so to sink further into the Gospel, we must know at least three things. And I want to give you these three things And within your notes, I have all the text. I didn't throw all the text on the screen. However, I just want to talk through it because this is so helpful. If we want to sync further and further, and further into the gospel. If we want to experience a kind of power of God, one that changes our lives, one that grows our confidence in Him and produces a kind of love that really brings kind of new life to people, we have to sink further and further into the gospel. But of course, what does that mean? That's a little ethereal. It's a little mercurial. I can't grab that. What does that mean? What does it mean to sink further, and further, and further into the gospel? To sink further, and further, and further into the gospel? we must know at least three things. The news, the truth, the experience. Meaning, the news of the gospel. The truth of the gospel. The experience of the gospel. The news of the gospel. And I don't mean to to talk uh, so simply as to um, offend, but we need to get this down as Christians. The news of the gospel, meaning the actual content of this news, do we actually know the good news? If we were to be stopped on the street, which I don't think is happening very often, by the way, we always say that. You know, when you get stopped on the street, how many times are you getting stopped on the street? In which case, if you do get stopped on the street or, for instance, at the dinner table or in a robust conversation or maybe in your workplace and someone was to ask you, what did Jesus do? You're all about Jesus. You're a Christian. What did he do? Tell me. What is it? What's all fuss about? What is it? What did he do? Do we actually have an answer? Can we say it? Do we know it? If given the blank piece of paper with the Gospel written at the top, how would we respond to it? How would we answer it? Do we know this news? If we want to sink further and further into the Gospel, we need to know the news of the Gospel, the actual content of the Gospel. I believe that 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 3-4, through and if you're a note-taker, this is good foundation for your life. I believe, give one of the best comprehensive, portable definitions of the gospel definitions. Gives the explanation. Gives the content of the news. Just lays it out there. As does Romans chapters 1 through 4. And I believe, very helpfully, Ephesians chapters 1 through 3. I really like Ephesians because Ephesians is like a distilled, more accessible version of Romans. In the Bible, New Testament. Also, epistles. This is 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 3 through 4 it says, Christ died for our sins. This is the content of the news. I should have put these on the screen. I'm sorry. Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. He was buried. He was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. I mean, that's the news. It's also Not coincidental that in the scriptures, Paul mentions the world sees the gospel as foolishness because of its grand claims. How can such a simple message create such big life change? I just said so much can change in life, a confidence, a security, an abundance, a life giving love. How can that exist within just this simple message of Jesus dying for sins, Jesus dying for sins, being buried and then being raised from the dead? How does that do that? It is the power of God to save. But when you start talking like I'm talking in the world, then there begins scoffing. Ridicule. And Paul was facing it as well, which is why he made the statement, I am not ashamed of this gospel because it is the power of God to bring salvation. Romans chapter 5, verse 8 says, Another extrapolation on this definition of the gospel. What is the good news? God demonstrates His own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And popular biblical passage scripture for good reasons, John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son, that whoever believes in Him shall not perish but have eternal life. This is a message, news, that God did something, that in our plight as people we live sinful and condemned, deserving of death is what the Scripture says. The wages of sin is death, and for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Therefore, we all are deserving death, and not just physical death, but a physical, spiritual death as well, a separation from God, deserving hell. That is a problem for people. And yet Jesus did something about it. God did something about it, which is why we celebrate Christmas at all. Jesus came fully God, fully man, lived a perfect life. And for the sin that we deserve to die for, Jesus died in our place for our sin. He was buried as 1 Corinthians states in chapter 15, verses 3 through 4. And yet death did not hold him down. Sin, sin did not conquer our God. He rose from the grave. He is ascended in the heavenly places. He's a resurrected Savior. By beating death, He actually proved that He is above it so that when we believe in Him, John 3.16 says, that we experience and receive eternal life, that we are covered. Our sins are covered. God doesn't look at us and see our faults. Instead, God sees the perfection of His Son. Sins, both past, present, and future, are covered, taken care of because of what Jesus has done. You can see how this is powerful. Do we actually know this good news that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried, he was raised on the third day? We need to know this news. The news. We also need to know the truth of the news. That it's actually objectively true. In fact, I think it could, it's so helpful. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15 verses 3 through 4, it keeps going and it says, the gospel is that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas and then to the twelve. Listen to this. He appeared to Cephas and then to the twelve. After that, he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers and sisters at the same time, most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles, and last of all, though I had been born at the wrong time, I also saw him, Paul said. This news was verifiable. It was thrown in there in the epistles that Jesus actually rose from the dead and people saw him and those people are still alive today is what Paul said to his immediate context. Meaning, if you doubt the truth of this, go and talk to them. Go and talk to these people. See if this is historically accurate, historically sound. If this event actually happened, if Jesus actually rose from the dead, which, by the way, the scripture says everything hinges on that truth of him rising from the dead. Still today, historians at this point are really not denying that Jesus existed and that he died. There's dispute over why, as you can understand, and if he rose from the dead. But in the first century, this message, it spread like wildfire, and it's because he actually did rise from the dead. It was verifiably true. Jesus was who he said he was, fully God, fully man, the Messiah, the Savior of the world, and he died for our sins, was buried, and was raised three days later, and that's objectively true, historically accurate. Do we know the news? Do we know the truth of the news? And do we experience the truth of the gospel? Because so far we've talked about all this. I know it's true. I know the content. But do we experience the gospel's truth? Which is the thing here. Is it subjectively true? Jesus, God, the creator of the universe, he died for sin. He was buried, he rose from the grave, and he did it for you. He did it for you. I get emotional a bit because I know that there are people maybe even in this room who just kind of laugh and say, you think God cares about me? I'm so messed up. I've sat in these church services so many times. I've had Christians tell me so much about how messed up I am. God did this for you. This is good news for you. You think that God doesn't care about you? Luke chapter 15. I love Luke chapter 15. Jesus was sitting around all of these sinners, all these bad people, all the people in this world we look at and say, you're messed up without hope. And he was asked the question by the religious people, why are you sitting around with all these sinner people? You're such a good God, why are you sitting around these people? I felt particularly led in Luke chapter 15 to read Jesus's response of being a good shepherd. Then Jesus told them this parable. Suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Doesn't he leave the ninety nine in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? I'm not trying to be overly emotional this morning. Keep going, keep going. <clears throat> and when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders. I'm sorry y'all. It's not it's actually not for dramatic effect. And he brings it home. Then he calls his friends and his neighbors together and says rejoice with me. I have found my lost sheep. I tell you that in the same way there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous people who do not need to repent. You don't think God cares about you? He left everyone else to go to you. He cares about you. The thing about sheep is they're not the smartest. They willfully just go and get themselves into all kinds of trouble, in all kinds of danger, and they need to be rescued, and that's exactly what God has done. He has gone to rescue His beloved sheep. When we get this gospel, we become secure, immovable, Confident, we operate out of an abundance of acceptance and grace and mercy. And it's there that our selfishness begins to peel and selflessness can be revealed so that we can love others. I entitled this message, Sink Further, for the reason of to experience this best wish of God, that we would grow in confidence for Him, in Him that produces a life-changing kind of love. To do that, we must sink further into the gospel and grow in confidence and love. you got to get to this message of the gospel. When you find yourself in a discouraging place, when maybe you react in ways that you're not proud of, when you want to actually grow, and when I want to actually grow, before we even begin worrying about behavior modification, we need to get to this power of God to salvation or rescuing, which is this message of God that tells you that you are loved unconditionally, that there is a power, a supernatural power available for your life. There, There is a God who sees you, who helps you, who wants to give you a security and a confidence and an abundance that no one can take away. We need to sink further and further into the gospel. The importance of knowing this gospel as being the good news is because it's not even just about us. It's those friends, it's those family members who come to us with issues when we interpret what we're watching on the TV and the solutions that are being proclaimed, we have to say, hey, where does the gospel exist here? Because it is the gospel that is the power of God to save and to rescue and to help mankind. And so we need to continually run not away from and to other solutions, but we need to run to this God and this message and this gospel, which really can change everything. Are we sinking into the opinions of others are we sinking into shame are we sinking into self-reliance are we sinking into social media are we sinking into our worldly news or are we sinking into the gospel sink further into the gospel and grow in confidence and love. This is the wish of God. Let's pray. God, we thank you so much. This good news exists, that you died for us, that you were buried, and yet sin could not hold you down. God, I pray that you would help us not only to head know this, but to heart know this, that we would experience the truth of your gospel that we would grow in a confidence in you, a godly confidence. That we would operate out of a place of security and abundance. That we can love those around us in a way that would be pleasing to you. In a way that would make them curious to know what is the source of this amazing, life-changing love. And that we'd be able to point to you that there'd be no question about why we're so loving. It's because God loved us first and that people will be drawn to you as a result. Help us to know this, to know, know this gospel. Help us to sink further into it when we read your word in the conversations that we have on the things that we meditate on. Help us to just sink further and further and further into your good news. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Amen.